Road School Moms, where education meets adventure, right here on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Mary Beth Goff, the road trip teacher, sharing my adventures in homeschooling from behind the wheel of my RV, currently in America's backyard. And I'm Holly Giles from the Giles Frontier, sharing my experiences in parenting right here on my back porch in Central Florida. Join us as we share our Christian perspective on parenting and home education. So find yourself a cozy spot and a favorite beverage. And let's share a little time together. Hello, Road School Moms. Welcome to episode 167 of Road School Moms Radio. I am so excited to have you here from, uh, with us from wherever in the world you are. I'm coming to you this week from behind the wheel in the crossroads of America around the St. Louis, Missouri area, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But right now, I want you to give a big Road School Moms hello to Holly, hearing from you from your back porch in Central Florida. How is it going down there, Holly? Hey, Mary Beth. It's going great. We have beautiful weather here this week. We've had some nice, cool days, which is a welcome here in Central Florida. How about you? What have you been up to this week? Well, I can tell you that we have actually had our traveling shoes on this week, which, as you know, is my favorite place to road school from. I love it when we can get in our RV and travel. Sometimes we travel from our car, which is what we're doing this week, but that's okay. It's still from behind the wheel. And we had the opportunity to go back to the St. Louis area. If you'll recall from some of uh, my shows back in the summer of last year, we done an extensive um, research project my road schoolers did on the St. Louis area. And one of the things that we didn't get to do last summer was the city museum. Have you ever heard of the city museum in St. Louis? I have not. Oh my goodness, Holly. It is seriously one of the engaging, interactive, it's a monstrosity is what it is. When you say (laughs) the word museum to my kids, especially my kids, I've got boys 14 and 16. What do you think happens when I say the word museum to them? They don't want to go. No, they didn't want to go and whoa, are you kidding me? What are we doing this for? And when we drove up and got parked and walked up there, they couldn't believe the site. And really monstrosity is a great word. It's this huge building in downtown St. Louis. And it is this huge family attraction. The thing to know about it is that it's not really a museum. Like you don't go there to look at things. You go there to look at things. Don't get me wrong, but you, there's so much more activity involved. I don't know how to explain it to you, but let me tell you this. Maybe this will help you with the scope of what the city museum is after being there. And as you know, I do so many things on the wing at plan. I don't, you know, I don't plan very well. I know that's a shock. (laughs) We went to the city museum about half baked, had talked about it so many times and didn't do it. And then on this particular day, I was like, Oh my gosh, let's go to the city museum. And let me tell you the six things that you have to have. If you're going to the city museum, you have to have enough adults with kids because it is so mammoth and so overwhelmingly wonderful that you have to have a good ratio of adults or older kids with your younger kiddos. Like honestly, probably at least one adult or older kid to every one or two little kids. Wow. That is, yeah. Tennis shoes are a complete must. Like don't go there in cowboy boots. Just ask Tori. She can explain that to you. We'll just do <laughs> that. Walkie talkies. Yes, I said you actually need a walkie talkie and it's not because of like the Disney world kind of walkie talkies. It's just because it's just so mammoth. Also the mammoth museum. They should call it the mammoth museum. Let me tell you the other things that you need there is water. And I know that sounds so crazy, but you, it's just so much activity and you definitely have to have 
some water while you're there. Big, small, young, old, everybody needs a drink of water. So take yourself a backpack or a bag, and that's another thing. I don't care how many is in your party when you go to the city museum, do yourself a favor and just take one bag, one easy to carry bag and a flashlight. That's something a else. Flashlight. Yeah. Does that, does all those things make you wonder what in the world do you do at the city museum? Well, go to the diary of a road mom and I'll show you the pictures from where we went there because it's crazy. It was nothing like we thought it was. And the 14 and 16 year old that, carried on about not going to the museum was the first ones that wondered when we're going back. Very cool. Well, that's pretty cool. But you know, all those things on your list sound a lot like what you would take on a day outside on a nature hike as well. Interestingly enough, know that a very good part of the museum is outside connected to the building. You have to, you climb and shimmy and slide. And well, let me tell you what we done right before we left. We went up 10 stories on a spiral staircase, up, up, up. And when we got up to the very top, we went down a slide, 10 stories. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll be doing that. Oh, yes, you will. My flat land of Florida. Thank you. You need to come up here to uh, the Midwest and let <laughs> me take you on a little tour of the city museum. It will it'll be definitely be something you won't forget. So tell me what happened in your world this week. Well, we went to Blue Springs, which is a state park here in Florida, to see the manatees. Have you ever seen manatee? Oh, I love manatee. And I love that state park. I'm You've so been there? Got there. I have been there. I love that. We done a study guide on manatees and based on our travel there, it was so much fun. I love it. Well, it's really not far from our home. So we do go there quite often, but in the Florida winter, we go there often to see the manatee. And it's really kind of a yearly ritual for our family. It never gets old going there, seeing the babies, you know, the count that's in the spring. For those of you that are unfamiliar with manatee, they come into the springs when the water gets above or below, I'm sorry. I think it's 76 degrees in the rivers. So they come up into the spring, which is a constant 72 degrees. And the day we were there, I think the count was at 350 manatee. My boys have been going there their whole entire life, and they still love going to see the manatee. So that's what we did this past week. And again, we loved it. I love the um, traditional things that you can bring into your household and your homeschool that your kiddos look forward to every year, especially when it's something that's repetitive like that. But even as they get older that they can still appreciate, I think. I love that too, because it builds, like I always talk about in nature, it builds a rhythm in their life. They know every winter the manatees are coming and it, it comes up in their mind. Now that they're older, are the manatees here, mom? When are we going? You know, are they here yet? And you know, here in Florida, we get weird cold bursts. So they are pretty frequent for three to four months. We've even been there in the summertime in kayaks and had manatees around us, which is highly unusual, but pretty exciting when that does happen. Mm-hmm. Well, we went, as you know, um, in Fort, the Fort Myers area on the Southwest Gulf coast. And we actually have a, the manatee park there. It's just a small County park, but we've kayaked there many times and we don't get to see 350 manatee there. But we do, you know, we have seen a few here and there, even in the summertime. And they're just such beautiful creatures. It's just so much, they're peaceful and they bring yes. 
that to your day. I love that. Yeah. So that was part of our homeschool week, which sort of ties into our topic, don't you think? It does. And this week's episode is all about a day at home with the road school moms. Holly, we're going to ask each other some questions, right? Maybe get to know each other a little bit better and where we come from as homeschool moms and talk about what brought us here. Yes, because generally most of us that might be listening are homeschooling and we are, we're homeschooling at home, wherever home happens to be at this time, right? And so what I want to know from you, Mary Beth, is how did you get started homeschooling? We started traveling on a whim back, well, I think we've been on the road about five years and we actually took a trip that was supposed to last a couple of weeks. I was, I'm a homebody for the most part. And at the time I was pretty mad actually that we were going to be gone over July the 4th. And I wasn't really all sold on the idea of the RV, which now sounds really funny to anyone that knows me because that's kind of my passion obviously now. But anyway, that two week trip trip turned into a 10 week trip. We, we came back at the end of the summer and we had plans to go to Florida. So my kiddos went back to public school that year for about three weeks. And I took my kiddos out of school for an additional three week trip that we were going to take in the RV. And I never took them back. Sometimes you see families that are, you know, they, they had this big dream to be full-time travelers and they took two or three years and they sold all their stuff and they done, they had this big plan. And that is awesome. I love to listen to those stories, but I can tell you that was not me at all. I didn't want to be in the RV. I had always actually had a secret desire to homeschool, but it was nothing that was supported by anyone else in our family. And so I just kind of gave up on the dream. I never thought it was a reality would ever become a reality. Um, And the traveling thing was definitely not on my radar. I love to be at home. So all of it, I became an, I was accidentally became a full-time traveler. I definitely accidentally became a homeschooler, but I wouldn't trade it for anything now when looking back. How old were your kids when that accidental homeschooling happened? My kiddos, um, I had three in public school. They were in first, third, and fifth grade. And then Tori was three. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what did homeschooling look like for you in that, those first stages of so when you took your kids out of school and you never went back, what did that look like for you? How did you, what did you do? Well, I can tell you that when I look at my homeschool journey so far, I've been homeschooling now six years, I guess. And I can tell you that I made a ton of mistakes the first, especially the fact that my kids lived through the first year of our homeschool is merely a... <laughs> miracle in itself. Don't we all say that though? (laughs) uh, This, this is for real. My, um, my kiddos had the same first grade teacher, all three of my kiddos and my, my daughter, Taylor, she was in that first grade teacher's class. was a really good friend of mine. Loved her. She had kept in contact with me when we were on the road because everybody knew that we were going to be back to school. You know, we were very big part of our community back where we lived in Indiana and Bloomington. And this first grade teacher, her name was Robin, very good friend of mine. I ha- happened to be talking to her on the phone and, and I was so frustrated because I, the kids weren't doing as much as I thought they should do. And come to find out, I was trying to cram as much down their throats in a day is what my friend Robin, who was teaching first grade, at least for my first grader, what she done in a week. Oh my. And, so, and I, that had went on for several months. So needless to say, my homeschool was very stressful. I was, I had brought school public school home. That's what I was doing that first year. 
And again, like I said, we had just started traveling and just started homeschooling. So just the trying to adjust to all of that was just really crazy. So I made a lot of mistakes those first few years, but I learned from them. Eventually we found our own groove and I relaxed a little bit, had the confidence that I wasn't going to ruin my kids. So did you get to a point where you felt like your traveling and the things that you were seeing was really more of, of a homeschool for them? I did. And it it took me a long time though, because at the beginning I thought that I had to stick to this plan because, you know, my oldest was in fifth grade. So I had, you know, had been in that public school situation for six years and I had a good situation. I didn't have any horror stories. I didn't, we didn't come out of public school because we had a bullying or because we had a, any kind of really challenges at all. My kids did well in school. They all had great teachers. I loved our public school community. It wasn't that at all. We just, our season changed, our situation changed, and we found ourselves homeschooling. So I had to really take all that planning and all the things that I had been traditionally conditioned for in public school. I had to get that out of my homeschool. I had to get out of my own way, really, to be honest. That's what it was. It took me almost two years to get out of my own way. And then I realized, because up until then, I'd been teaching all these things that I thought they had to have. We had to do math and reading and writing and grammar and science and social studies and Bible and don't forget all this. And our destination, where we were at and the things that we were doing, you know, in our road school was like extra. You know, I was treating that like an extracurricular thing when all along it was all right in front of me. Instead of just taking advantage of where we were, you know, if we were outside for the day or maybe it was a rainy day and we were inside, we could still take advantage of our, you know, of our destination and where we were at and the places that we were. And I didn't, it took me a while to figure that out. And when I say a while, I mean like two years. (laughs) You know what? I love what you just said which for me sort of encapsulizes what I encourage moms is you said when you got out of your own way. And I I talk a lot about that because that is the truth. When you get out of your own way, what your homeschool is supposed to look like is what starts happening. That's funny. That's funny that you said that. Mm -hmm. So tell me what led you to homeschooling? What what was the deciding factor for you that you knew you were going to homeschool your kiddos? Curtis and I, we went through almost 10 years of infertility. So having a child was a dream for us. And once we had Grayson, I didn't, I couldn't imagine sending him to school. Although I really didn't consider homeschooling. I just was really savoring those younger years. This is sort of a long story, which I will briefly shorten. We can talk about parts of it later. But when Grayson was three years old, we discovered he had had a stroke when he was born. And there were things, there were signs and things we were struggling with along the way. But having that sort of changed our perspective on what schooling was going to look like for him. So we did go to the public school. You know, we wanted to do all of the things we needed to do when he was before kindergarten and do all these tests and all this stuff. What decided for us is actually we had this round table at the public school. And a lot of you may have done this before. If you have children with special needs and they do all that testing and you go there so they can tell you, you know, what they're going to do for your kid. So all of these experts are sitting around the table. My husband and I are there and they basically say on the test that he's taken, he's, he's very low in these areas. He's high on these areas, that type of thing. He really doesn't fit into any criteria that we have for special needs. And we don't know what it is that you're doing with him, but he's doing really well. 
And so have you ever considered homeschooling? That really was the agreement of everyone. Whatever you're doing is working for him. Maybe you should consider keeping him at home because if you bring him here, he, we're going to have to fail him. You know, the whole process. I was kind of excited when we went home because I thought, oh, goody, he gets to stay home. <laughs> but Curtis was unhappy with their, I, I'm not, he wasn't unhappy about homeschooling. I think he was just unhappy with, he felt like there was so many experts that they basically, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't shove us out the door, but I think that's the way he felt. And so for him, there was just no turning back as far as the school system for him. And that's, that's how we started homeschooling. Were you afraid of making mistakes or did you, did you have that confidence from the beginning when they told you, you know, keep him at home? Did you have the confidence to keep doing going? That is such a great question because I don't think I have ever thought about that. I think at first I was just, I was excited about the prospect of it. And he was still so young that I didn't, honestly, I didn't think kindergarten, you know, kindergarten isn't even recognized in our state if you homeschool. So the truth of the matter is I was okay with that because I thought I can't mess up kindergarten and kindergarten's fun, right? <laughs> and I, I am not a teacher. That is not my background. I think I have people tell me now that I should have been a teacher because I thought, oh, I'm going to turn our carport into a classroom. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> so in the beginning, no, I don't, I don't think I was scared about it. Now I did get scared later on, you know, when all that pressure comes in on you, but no, I don't think so at first. homeschool because I know that for me when I first started traveling and homeschooling one thing that was really big in our community was unschooling and I can remember at the time I didn't even know what unschooling was but I knew I wasn't one because I didn't want to be labeled as an unschooler just because the sound of it sounded not very good to me in the beginning I've always kind of shied away from labels even though I, I can tell you now we do a lot of unschooling in our house we do but I don't think that I can say that we really have a label in our homeschool. Do you label your homeschool, Holly? No, I don't think that we do either. And I, I am the same as you. That word, now I've been homeschooling 10 years. So 10 years ago, that word unschooling was like a taboo. You know, yes. don't say that. You don't want to be classified with those people. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't like to say that I was an unschooler. I would say I was eclectic, but I didn't even like that word either because I felt that I was following a traditional manner in teaching. But as time went along, I realized I didn't like that as much. I liked this over here and that over there. Um, just as you said, I think now looking back, we do have a lot of unschooling tendencies. And now the perception of that in society has changed a little bit. And it's not as taboo as it was 10 years ago. I definitely think we fall into that category. Might as well. Do you think that there are any drawbacks to homeschooling? Wow, that's a really good question. You're asking <laughs> some tough questions, drawbacks. There could be. I think there could be drawbacks for any family. If you're going into homeschooling 
with the mindset that you're bringing school home. And I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. And I think that you'll find veteran moms are kind of on that same plane of thought is if you can go into homeschooling with a thought process as living your life and adding learning into your life, your daily life with your children, you'll do much better and you will not have so many stumbling blocks and roadblocks. If not, there can be some trouble. There can be trouble in your marriage. There can be trouble in educating your kids with your friendships, even with yourself. I think a lot of that can play a big role if you look at it from different perspectives of how you homeschool. That's a really good point. And it, I don't know when you said that it brings me to the thought that I've had recently, and we're going to have a show on this later on this season, but that's all about staying in your own lane. Yes. And when you really think about that, you know, you have to really stay in your own lane. You have to keep focused on what's important to you. You know, what's good for your kiddos. You know, what's good for your family. There's no one that knows your kiddos like the mama does, you know, this. And so I just think that, you know, keeping focused on that. And we're going to talk, uh, we have a show coming up about comparison and yes. talk about that. We'll, we'll leave all of that yeah, for that. We'll show. leave that right there. Cause we've got a show about that, which we're going to delve into that. I do want to say, I think that we get a lot of questions. You probably do too as well, but here at the Giles Frontier, when we travel, we have so many new families who really, where do we go? What do we do? We want to find the right curriculum. We want to do the right thing. And I always kind of freeze up when people ask me that, because I do think that when you first start homeschooling, you should have a plan. You should have an idea. You should have, dare I say, a curriculum, a very loose structure of a curriculum, because if you don't have a base point, I think it could go awry very quickly. Now, what you do from your base point is following your family's lead and not your curriculum's lead, what's best for your family. And if you can do that, and and I don't care who you are, you can have the most confidence, you can be scared to death. It takes everybody at least a year to kind of get their footing. Don't you agree? To get your footing on where you think your family's headed. You've got to get to know your kids. And you can say, oh, well, I know my kids. Well, if your kids have been in school or if they were in preschool or kindergarten or even upper grades, there's parts of your kids you're still not in in touch with. Did you find that when you went on the road? Oh, my goodness, yes. And that was part of my failures in those first few years was because I knew my kids, according to me, and I knew what they needed. And I, I thought I knew what they wanted. I thought I knew exactly what they were good at. One of the first things that makes me think of right out of the gate, I thought, well, we're going to read book. We don't have a lot of room for books in the RV. So we're going to do books on audible and we're going to do things on the Kindle and the kids have an iPad and all this. And within the first couple of weeks, my oldest Tyler, who is one of the best readers, he's probably the best reader in our house as far as, you know, our homeschoolers are concerned. And he came to me right out of the gate and said, I want to feel a book in my hand. Well, that, I was like, well, that's not going to happen. No. I mean, at first I was like, well, that's impossible. That can't happen because we're doing this, this, and this. And, you know, we talked about it a lot that first couple of months. And he finally just said, mom, I don't want to read if I can't have the book in my hand. I like to crease the pages. I like to fold it down. So I know where it is. I love my bookmarks. I want to 
have a book in my hand. I don't like holding an iPad. And I really had to go back and think about, you know, again, I said this earlier, you got to get out of your own way. You cannot take your obsessive is the word that really comes to my mind. You know, you like your obsessions and the things that are important to you. Guess what? They may not be important to your kids. And that's not to say that you don't know what's best and that you shouldn't be laying the foundation. Obviously, you're the parent. But you really do, I think, to be a successful homeschooler, you have to have an open heart and an open mind. And I can tell you this, at least for me, in the six years I've been homeschooling, my kiddos have taught me a whole lot more than I've probably taught them. (laughs) This is true. I was thinking of the word flexibility when you were talking. I think we definitely need flexibility. And if you think you've had an education before you started teaching your kids, Whoa, that's not the case. I have done so much learning in the last 10 years alongside my kids because of my kids, from my kids, that... In spite of your kids. Yes, yes. And they're going to learn in spite of you. That's the other thing that I think is important to remember. They're going to learn in spite of you. I don't care if you don't have any plan whatsoever for today. They're going to learn something and they're going to learn in spite of you. Yeah, you know, today, and I was going to talk about how we got into lifestyle learning, how we do. Today, Grant is sick. He's got a high fever, so he's pretty much couch bound, and the schoolwork for today is set aside. And Grayson, yes, he did his math, but do you know what he spent this afternoon doing? This this is how it goes around here. He wants to make moccasins, shoes. So he spent time today watching videos, how to make them, how to make the pattern. He's drawn out the pattern. He's gone to the garage. He has got this sheet basically of leather that he got a long time ago to make moccasins probably a couple years ago. And so today's the day that boy, he's searching for the sinew for the thread. He's wanting the needle. He's making moccasins. Was that on my plan? No. Why not? Why not let him do it? Well, and the thing with that that I love about it, and I think this is such a true testament to your homeschool, is that not that just that he had something that was self-led. Yes, oh, he wanted to make moccasins. Isn't that cute? But just the fact that he had, you know, there was all kinds of other things involved in everything that you just said. Your critical thinking and the planning and just knowing what he needed and how to pull those things together and, you know, how the process that he took to all that, that really is a testament to your homeschool and his growth that he's had, that he could even partake that project and, you know, then to make it work. And that's where we're all going. That's the journey that we're all going to really is to lead our kiddos down this journey and help them see what they're good at and where their interests lie and then encourage them and inspire them and give them all the tools that they need to be able to use those resources and use these, you know, great things about themselves to be successful in whatever it is they want to do and whoever they want to be. Yes. You know, when we started homeschooling, I did, I turned, we had a room that was sort of a catch-all. We have a little house, but we have this room that was a catch-all. I turned that into a schoolroom, and I'm talking a desk with the chair and the ABCs on the wall, the United States map, the flag, the whole nine yards. It was a schoolroom. That's just plain and simple. It was a schoolroom. I am a product of the public school system, and that's what was in my mind. We're schooling, but we're just at home. And that poor little boy struggled sitting at a desk. He struggled, you know, he had some 
needs. You know, he had some special issues that we had to work on. So sitting at a desk was difficult. Reading was difficult, you know, all these different things. And he was compliant. And, and I have found that with firstborn kids. Have you found that he was very, he would, he was going to try, but he was unsuccessful at it. But what he loved was the outdoors. And I struggled with that for a time. But when I learned to let go and follow what brought him to life, that is really when our homeschool took off. And my husband and I saw how that changed our lives. And we've never looked back, which brings us to today in the moccasins. I have taught my children how to learn. And we, yes, we have a structure, but they're allowed to follow their passions and what they do. And we want them to learn from that experience. Just like what you said, a lot of stuff went into the moccasin deal here. He's excited about it. Why would you stop a kid from being excited about something and all the process that he's going to learn along the way? And I think that's what we want to share with you, Road School Moms, is to be able to get to that point where you are. And it can be scary, especially if this is, if you're new in your homeschooling or if you haven't, you know, graduated kids and you're thinking, well, I can't let my high schooler spend a day making moccasins because then he'll be behind and what am I going to do? But the reality is he's a critical thinker. He can communicate, you know, all these different things. Like you said, that is really for us, what a lifestyle of learning looks like here at the Giles Frontier. Well, let's just talk about curriculum. Do you have a certain curriculum that you use now? And what have you done in the, you know, in, give us just a short synopsis of your 10 years. How has the curriculum shaped or not shaped your homeschool? I started out using a Becca for kindergarten and first grade. That was a good launching point for us because it had a structure, it had a schedule, and I knew, you know, things to be teaching him. We didn't use the extras that come along with that, but I think it was a good foundation and starting point for us. And after a while, I realized that we like to do more unit study. I guess you would classify that unit study type things. So we moved, I would keep a base curriculum. So for math, we use teaching textbooks is what we use for math. And that doesn't start until third grade, but it worked for Grayson because he's very auditory. He has some auditory processing issues. And so listening for him and only having one thing on the page works for him, which is teaching textbooks. So that has been consistent for us. Language arts, it's always been difficult for me because we love reading aloud. That has been consistent throughout the 10 years. Grayson is now 15. We still read aloud. We spent an hour and a half today reading aloud because Grant, like I said, was, was ill. So we had the time to do that. And that goes in seasons for us, but that's really our favorite thing is reading aloud. And the language that they have learned from that is incredible. So I had little kids who could articulate that was even shocking to me. And I didn't understand for a couple of years why that was. And it was from reading aloud, looking at the book, seeing the words, hearing their mother speak the words was good for them. We use learning language arts through literature I've used that off and on through the years because it's consistent. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think that's a really key word is being consistent and really just keep building layers of that foundation and just keep adding, you know, as the years go by, 
successful layers because that just builds their knowledge and their confidence and all those things that you're seeing in, you know, go back to the moccasin story. You know, you're reaping those rewards of years of consistent homeschooling and, you know, and then you have that product at the end. Yeah. Layering. I like that word. <laughs> I have not used that word before. That's a good word. Layering. That's mm-hmm. exactly what we're doing and not forcing. Like I said, now I try to be consistent with the math. To be honest, we, it probably takes us a school year and a summer to do a year of math. So we're not doing it in a short period of time, but we're on target for where they are. Language arts, I, I'm sure I don't finish a book in a year, but like I said, we're just consistent. One book, I think it probably took us two years. I think that's okay. Yeah, you know, so when we started out, um, we used time for learning. And uh, if you're a a loyal listener here at Road School Moms, you know that Time for Learning has been a sponsor for our show from the very beginning. We love Time for Learning. All four of my kiddos use that online curriculum. And I think that when you're starting out, something like that is a great platform because it really gives you the parameters of what needs to be covered. And, you know, I think when you first start out, you're, you know, so easy to become overwhelmed by everything out there. So for me, time for learning gave me some direction. One of my kids, Tyler, actually not really a strong student in math. He's always struggled a little bit with math, loved life of Fred. And so we went to life of Fred for a math, but even he has, really taken off with teaching textbooks. So that's what we do for math. Language arts, we have always, like you, I've always struggled with it. I never really could find the right, I don't know what the word is. I never could really, we never could find our groove in that. And so we ended up doing a lot of unit studies and we do a lot based on our destinations. Now we do a lot based on interests and self-led interests and things like that. And from that we've become, you know, my kiddos have been become pretty strong notebookers. We love interactive notebooks. We use those for social studies and science projects, but we really do a lot of unit studies and a lot of those types of projects that they just build on kind of as the year goes on. If you listen to last week's show, you know that one of my kiddos right now is doing a whole notebooking project on roller coasters. And I can tell you that if, if I was in my first or second year of homeschooling, I probably would think that that was not okay. Uh, well, he probably wouldn't even be doing it because I would have been so crazy. I'd have been like, no, that's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> I've ever heard. But now, I mean, I've got the confidence and, you know, the, the faith in the whole way that the foundation of my homeschool works that I know that that's going to be okay. The other things that we've used that I want to mention are Apologia. Apologia, and, and again, we use their notebooking journals. And those were those were pretty well received in my household. All, all of my kids like those. Yeah. And you know what I love about Apologia? My kiddos, of course, mine are, my girls are just a few years apart and then my boys are just a few years apart. So I've had a lot of fun. I guess that's where it comes back to kind of me and maybe my, a little bit of my obsession, but you know, the girls are doing the same in their younger years. They've done the same books and then they just each have their own notebook and so they could read aloud together they could work on their notebooking together and the boys have done the same thing for So for that, something that really worked well for me with multiple ages. And the other thing that worked multiple ages for me was not grass history. That's something that one of my kiddos used a few years back. And then I realized this year, actually not grass history is a huge part of what we're doing because it really is covering a lot of things for us. It's even covering literature. It's like, I think four credits for my high schooler this year. They have great program. I love not grass. 
I've had many conversations with Charlene Notgrass. I love her and I love their whole theory behind education. That's what's really cool is understanding why people wrote the curriculum that they did. And that gives Mm -hmm. you just, you know, a little bit more uh, love of it. If you can, I mean, that's, they were in the thick of it and that's why they did it because history was not brought in a engaging way. And I think they've really kind of nailed it on that. Right. Charlene, actually, I don't know if you know this, Charlene, it was actually on road school moms. It's been several months ago, but we, and I'll put the show link to that show, but we had her on and she was amazing. The story and how it all became about, I am a big fan of America, the beautiful, that particular um, curriculum. I love it, especially for some of our traveling families. It just is a great, great resource for your middle schooler. And it's honestly, when you were talking about read aloud, it made me think about this. We've read some of the America, the beautiful textbook in our read alouds that has nothing to do with our school curriculum. It might be something that one of the older kids read for the day and they thought it was really interesting. And so we would be talking about it at dinner or at night. And then we would end up reading that for our read aloud for the day. You know, Mary Beth, what I think we should do for our listeners is we have just kind of gone through how we started in homeschooling, where we started, where we are now, some of the resources we've used, how it's changed for us, is what if we kind of give them a concrete example of what our days look like? Maybe a week, because our days aren't ever the same here. Maybe a week. So now I have two boys. They're uh, 12 and 15. You have four kids, so you've got a wide range going on. Why don't you give us a little synopsis of what a week schooling behind the wheel looks like for your family? Our weeks are cyclical and they, they really change based on the season of what we're doing. If we're traveling, we spend usually a day or two a week on the road. And those days I can tell you that we don't get a lot of book work done. As a matter of fact, you can look back at one of our old road school moms shows from a couple years ago. Our travel days consist a lot of, games on the road and a little bit of reading and just not a whole lot of structure. Doesn't mean that we're not learning. It just means that we're really trying to take an advantage of whatever happens for that day. And that's where that word you said earlier in this broadcast, flexibility, really, you have, you know, I have to condition myself to be flexible because sometimes I know it's a shock, but I'm not the most flexible person you've ever met. Um, But anyway, so that's, you know, if it's travel day and if it's not, if we're stationary, kind of like we are now, then I kind of have that old fashioned three R's kind of a thing going on in my head. And I feel like that if we get a good portion of reading and writing and arithmetic done, then everything else is okay. We don't do, I know you said, I hope I don't steal this word from you, but I know you said this to me before that you don't do a lot of fluffy stuff. And that's what I feel like that I've kind of cut out as well is not to worry about all this extra thing that I feel like we need to check off of a list. So for us in a week, um, I have, like I said, that, that good portion of those three R's that my kiddos know that they need to do. We do a character study right now they're doing who is God and they have that project going on. And each of them usually have some kind of special interest project going on. Now, honestly, don't let that, make me sound so wonderful that you think that we've got these big science fairs going on in our household or anything. I mean, right now Tori's main thing is slime. 
she's a slimeaholic and she is experiencing <laughs> and um, experimenting and figuring out all the ways that she can make slime, use slime and de-slime and deactivate and reactivate slime. And so that, you know, that's something that she may spend several hours a day on that probably really doesn't fit into anyone's box. That's okay. Um, so what I guess I'm trying to say are, you know, our weeks really don't, they're, they're, they're not really scheduled. They're really not. And it's not, I can't really tell you what we do in a day because our days are never the same. I was going to ask you though, do you have any kind of a planner or schedule, like even a loose schedule? Do you do any of that? Or are your kids at an age where they're sort of self-sufficient in the books that they're doing as far as math and, and whatever? You know what I found with my kiddos is that no matter how old they are and they still have a list. We have a road school mom's planner that's been around for a couple of years and I use a couple of pages from, from that over and over each week just to keep those basic foundational things that I think my kiddos need to do every week. And they know that, that those things have to be done by Friday. And in our house, we tend to school four days a week. You can't hear me, but I just done quotes in the air. We tend to school, quote, unquote, about four days a week. Those days, I, you know, I like them to do some form, you know, reading aloud, like you said, reading aloud is big in our household. We do that a lot. And aside from that, I like for them to write in some form or fashion every day. Now, that may be writing postcards to somebody back home, or that may be writing Christmas lists, or that might be writing a journal entry, or that might be writing a formal paragraph that I wanted them to do. But those things I like them to do every day along with some math of some sort. And then whatever happens on top of that, I always just feel like is kind of homeschool gravy. Yeah, I like that. I'm the, I'm the gravy gal. <laughs> I, I'm not a planner. Like I don't have a homeschool planner. I've tried that many for many, many years, and it's, I'm unsuccessful at it. However, I have come to love spiral notebooks. And I know when you were here, I was showing you mine because I write in it every day. If I have a list, I write down and I just keep turning the pages and I know I can go back and find what I'm looking for. So I tried that with my kids. We started that a couple of years ago and they each have a spiral notebook and I write in it. Actually, what I do is I probably write in it what would total up to be a four or five weeks of stuff in their spiral notebook. Now I, I'm just saying it, it's not filled in the whole page. It's just your basic thing. So if, if like a grant, for instance, doing learning language arts to literature, I kind of go through and I kind of write down cause he's still young enough. He, he really needs direction on what to do, write down, you know, the pages and whatever he's supposed to do. And I will do that, but I don't date it. I never date anything. And so what happens is that helps me because I've got it kind of written down on what he needs to do. Maybe some reading. Uh, we do some writing. We use handwriting without tears for him, the older books. We do a spelling kind of thing. So I write those out. And so I can look at it and say, okay, I have, you know, six weeks worth of stuff written out. No dates. Because the truth of the matter is, he might get to that spiral notebook three days that week. Could be four. Who knows? In our house on Monday is mowing day. Grayson, who's 15, he has a lawn business that he's had for three years. 
and his father takes off work on Mondays and the three of them spend the entire day driving around doing lawns. That's his job. He earns great money doing that. And so Mondays, generally there's no school happening here at all because they're mowing. And Tuesdays, quite honestly, sometimes get a slow start because they're tired from Monday. But Tuesdays, I really try to have some schoolwork going on. Uh, We're doing math. They're doing the stuff I've written out. One day during the week, we generally might see friends or we might go somewhere. I try to limit that, you know, unless it's something really cool. Uh, We do have people over quite a bit just to do stuff if whatever the boys are interested in, whether they're making moccasins or building something, you know, we have kids over to do that. So in general, I would say like you, maybe we have three days of our schoolwork in there. And the three R's, I used to get so excited, didn't you, over those unit studies where you made all the stuff and the lap books and your building and the craft sticks. And, you know, I used to think that that is what made our homeschool. And honestly, it was exhausting after a while. (laughs) And if the kids aren't really into it, it's not really fun. So I, I limit that now as well. And so the things that we do are enjoyable for all of us. It might be a family project and there's seasons where that might not happen as well. Reading aloud, just like you, that's huge for me. But quite honestly, we might go through a season where we don't read aloud for a month. And then the next month we might read several books, you know, big chapter, big, big books together. But they always have a book that they're reading. Uh, I have a list for them and they just kind of go from one to the other or they choose something that they want to read. So they're always reading whether we're doing that together or not. And that's honestly what a week looks like here. We're huge into chores. Uh, Everyone works together here. You can't live here if you're not pitching in because I can't, I can't do it all. So they're cleaning toilets, they're vacuuming, they're taking care of the chickens and the dog. To me, that is life skills, which is very important for their future. And we are very fortunate to live close to family. So we might be helping someone out doing something, that type of thing. And for both my husband and I, life skills and family trumps math any day. Math is important, but that's just the way we feel. Our family isn't always going to be around. So we take those opportunities to be with them when we can. So that's what a week looks like here at the Giles Frontier. (laughs) I love that. And what I'm hearing from you is just a lot of character building within your household. And I think that's so important. For me, I I am a very results person. I'm driven to see results and I want to see results with my kids. And what I've come to find out is those results really are in how they speak and how they present themselves and the way that they handle certain situations, good situations and bad situations, that really tells how they're building their character and their knowledge and their experience and all that. And so for me, I finally realized for so long, I've had these checklists or they had something at the beginning of the week. I love Excel. So I'm always making some spreadsheet with a little box that you can check off or color in or whatever. But what I realized this last couple of months, and this is so telltale of how things are in our house. And it goes back to what I said earlier in the show about getting out of your own way and staying in your own lane. And that is for me, 
I needed this big list that they could check off because I wanted to keep that list because at the end of the year, I want to see that we've done this, 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 and this. Well, guess what I realized in the last couple of months? I started using these post-it notes by the day. And so if there was something that they needed to do for that day, and let me tell you, this was at a time where we were having some issues in our house with responsibility and you were talking about our life skills. And I thought, you know what? Well, I'm having trouble with the way my work is and, uh, my days get away from me. And so I've found that we were eating lunch at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, you know what? I need them to help me make lunch. So I started putting it on a post-it note. I handed each of them. There's four of them. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be great. So these four days that we're trying to focus on schoolwork, they're each going to make lunch a different day. But then also on the other side, so there was chores on one side and then school things on the other. It was just on a post-it note, just the little three-by-three post-it notes. What I found with my kids is what I did not realize, they do not need a big list. They don't even want, a big list is daunting to them. When you hand them something that's this huge list of things or this big amount of work that they have to do, even if it's over the next week or month, their minds, or at least my kiddos, really don't process that all that well. What I found with my kids are these little post-it notes that I give them, they can tackle that in a day or a couple of hours maybe even. They can tackle it, and you know what they do with that when they're done with the post-it note? They crumple it up and throw it away. I love the post-it notes. I do that as well. But I think you hit on something. We should put this down as a show, Mary Beth, for us to do later, is wanting the check boxes to look back at the end of the year because I have some notes on that and what is happening in our house and why I believe you cannot quantify lifestyle homeschooling on paper. And I'd love to share that with our road school mom sometime. I think that we've kind of wrapped up our time here today and talking about how we school at home. And what is funny is that even though you school behind the wheel and I school on the back porch, our days are pretty similar, aren't they? That's right, Holly. Both of us come from the same place where education meets adventure and road school moms. We just want to bring you the encouragement and the inspiration that everything's going to be okay from wherever in the world you are. So until next time, safe travels and God bless. If you're listening to us on a replay, please share your review with iTunes. Stay connected with the road school moms team from wherever in the world you are. Like our Facebook page for all the latest news and join the private group Road School Moms for a more personal connection. You can also check our Pinterest boards for more resources and encouragement. Connect with me, Mary Beth, through my website at roadtripteacher.com. We invite you to leave comments, ask questions, and leave your prayer requests at roadschoolmoms.com. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep up with all our adventures. To connect with me, Holly, visit thegilesfrontier.com. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.